Hi everyone. Today I'm going to be talking about the enigmatic art of Waldemar Potter. Interesting person and the Montana Historical Society has his life's works, some 308 pieces in our collection. Potter was born in 1899 in Estonia. His family lived in Narva, which lies along the Narva River, nine miles above the river's outflow of the Gulf of Finland. It was founded in the 13th century and quickly became a substantial commercial city. Estonia had a long history of occupation. The Russians, the Swedes, and then the Russians again, and Narva was an important scene of Peter the Great's defeat of the Swedes in the 1700s. As the years went by, Estonia achieved a short-lived period of independence starting in 1919. Ultimately, the fate of Estonia was decided by the German-Soviet Non-Aggression Pact of 1939 between Nazi Germany and the USSR. The Soviet government imposed on Estonia a treaty of mutual assistance, which basically ended its independence. Potter's father had a print shop in Narva where he printed flyers promoting the resistance in, to Russia. His father was subsequently imprisoned and suffered ill health and then died shortly after his release. Later, Potter said, it was the first suffering I witnessed in all my life and made so deep an impression on me that I decided on a profession in which I could undo some of mankind's anguish. So I entered medical school but his medical studies were sh cut short by military service, which he served from 1918 to 1934. Nazi Germany occupied Estonia in July of 1941. Initially, the Germans were perceived by most Estonians as liberators from the USSR and its repressions. Although hopes were raised for restoration of the country's independence, these were soon dashed. The Germans pillaged the country for their war effort and unleashed the Holocaust on Estonia during which tens of thousands of people were murdered, including ethnic Estonians, Jews, Gypsies, Russians, Soviet prisoners of war, and others. His brother Eric also served in the army, but landed in the mental hospital during the time of the German occupation. When Waldemar went to visit him, he was told that his brother had suddenly died by some known illness. Apparently, all the other um, patients had died too on the very same day. The Nazis simply had to leave the world of the hospital full of people, Potter recalled. By February 44, however, the Russians were back in Narva at the Narva front. Basically, they destroyed the city. The overwhelming majority of the Estonians did not favor any occupying force. The Russians' previous occupation caused more suffering to the population than Nazi Germany, which explains why so many Estonians feared the communist state. Estonians started fleeing to Sweden already in the spring of 1943, but the <coughs> exodus intensified by August of 44 when it became clear the German front was collapsing and the Soviet military forces were about to occupy Estonia again. About 30,000 Estonians escaped to Sweden and 33,000 to Germany. So what is happening is bombs are raining down and there's a city burning behind and, and people are fleeing here. Not all of the Estonian refugees made it. The stormy seas and the enemy fire claimed the lives up to 9% of the refugees. Thousands found themselves in displaced persons camps in Germany, which became their temporary home for a number of years. After the Second World War, Europe was in a state of total ruin. Approximately 60 million people had been killed. Nations tore apart. Millions of Europeans were left displaced. Germany was occupied by the Allies and divided into four sectors, the British, the American, French, and the Soviet. 
The British, American, and French sectors established displaced persons camps, or DB camps as they were called, to provide temporary shelter, nutrition, health care for refugees, and hundreds of camps existed all over Germany. When people first arrived at one of these DP camps, they often experienced a sense of relief. The camps offered a degree of security, a roof over their heads, regular meals, and the possibility of being reunited with lost loved ones. It was a grim existence. Potter, he spent 10 year, over 10 years in various camps doing, quote, doing nothing except watching suffering. But he didn't end up doing nothing. He took up painting. And uh, this is 1946 newsletter from Camp Echo, it translates to. And Potter's art is described as a very interesting style, quote, unquote. And camp life was not wonderful. This is a painting that um, Potter did that shows his misery of wishing to have a, giving up his heart for a cigarette. Here's another newsletter from the Augustdorf camp, which he later was transferred to in 1945. An exhibit of handicrafts from homeless Eastern Europeans was opened. This is a photograph that Potter pasted into onto the top of the, an image that was on this page. The image below that actually shows handicrafts, not his art being shown. That what didn't make it into the newspaper. But he did, would do things like this and then keep a really extensive scrapbook. And this is in his scrapbook, but it does show the artwork that he exhibited there. And here's his painting, Weariness. Then you see this painting here. You see God and the devil standing over hell. And then I'm going to show you this painting, which is on, uh, in the uh, brochure for the History Conference. The newspaper describes this painting. Thick walls and prison bars and outside almost unreachable is a, as a sad, is a sad blooming flower. A displaced person from Augustdorf camp painted that with exciting and agonizing clarity. It immediately symbolized the terrible emotional distress and despair of most of the 1900 camp inmates who have no home and hardly a ray of sunshine in the comfort of their everyday life. And the frame that he made, it's a little hard to see in this painting, but it, ex it extends out in three dimensions out into the um, foreground. And the painting for the flower is very thick in pasta. Another newsletter. Froeschaffen translate to, to happy work in the Augustdorf camp where people were happy doing handicrafts. And in this newspaper it says, on the walls of a small exhibition room hang pictures from which bitter disappointment and painful past speak. For example, the envy is depicted as a hateful spider with eyes bulging out. And then he began to get a little bit of uh, recognition he did exhibit in some of the local galleries. Wilma Neiman, who ran an art gallery, wrote to Potter, the self-portrait of Dr. Potter demands attention. Here someone looks for his own way with the most honest effort and expresses more in his portrait than his mere image. The agonizing intentions of our time live in this face. The cold, hard colors also express the striving, unsparing truth from his picture. Could be a promise for the future. And Potter was a bit of a self-promoter, as probably any good artist is. He sent a painting to Winston Churchill, and this is the letter that came back from his Winston Churchill secretary, attached with a little photograph snap that Potter had kept in his scrapbook. And it's just a little tiny photo that blows up not too, that, not too clearly. But Covenant consuls, beware of consuls. So at the camps, he had, um, must have had exposure to 
art classes, because he did a series of uh, sort of formal nude studies in 1947. So the next several series of slides of the artwork broken down into various categories. Sort of loosely, you can see there will be some sort of crossover between some of the, the uh, topics, but I've structured them in such a way that made the most sense to me, but we shall see what you think. So he did a series of landscapes. This is probably one of the first ones he did while in camp, 1944. It's of eel fishing. Castle Narva from his hometown. Again, Castle Narva woodblock print. Here's Castle Narva today, and um, you can see they've uh, done some work on it to repair it after the destruction of Narva. God throwing lightning bolts down on a burning city. Another burning village. Potter brought his entire collection of art to the United States when he immigrated. And you can see the conditions sort of suffered from, from being um, transported. And this is, a, I love these two pieces. It shows a dog howling at the moon and the, and the howls are going up to the moon. The ravens. He loved to make his own frames out of masonite and or cardboard. Strange imagery, sad imagery in most cases. This painting was painted on the back of this canvas that was made by another artist, an artist of which I've not identified yet, but it was done in, in uh, Europe before he immigrated. He loved to just grab whatever he could use to paint. Often it would be another canvas. Sometimes it would be cardboard, and often it would be masonite. This is the last uh, outdoor painting that he painted in Europe before he emigrated. The next topic is interiors. And then when he came to the United States, he had to take his canvases off their stretcher frames, and this is how they remain at this point. Warm corner, maybe a nice warm spot he found at the camp. This is a, a furnace house, or perhaps a, inside of a distillery. A strange painting of the devil being crowned and people worshiping him. A jester and angel mourning over what looks like a deceased child. This is a sort of odd interior piece. Of course, it's odd because here he's sitting with a devil lady, a person sitting with a devil lady, devil, I mean, a skeleton lady, devil over here drinking. These paintings on the background, now these three paintings are actual paintings that he painted. This one is sort of a catch-all, religion, mythology, and historical, he had it all. Adam and Eve, Madonna, Christ, this is Samson, Lucifer. Here is God and the devil playing chess, and it looks like this must be Saint Peter here. God is drinking a cup of coffee. I should say, although I have untitled here, I'm sure Potter had titles for his work. We just don't know what they are. So just for the sake of ease, I put untitled down. God and the devil skewering. Looks like they're roasting the earth. Maybe this is Job down here. Pan sleeping. Pan's nightmare. Little elves dancing around a flower. Joan of Arc. This is a little drawing of a crest, and it shows the devil and, the, and an angel almost embracing. He did this in 1947, and then a year later you see it showing up here in this painting. 
I don't know where this is, if this is Castle Narva or some other mythical place. Still life paintings. He loved to do still life paintings in the camp. A dog with a frog, or a stuffed dog with a frog, maybe. Flowers, flowers de mal, flowers of evil, sunflowers. The Grim Reaper, another subject that he fascinated on. Here's the Grim Reaper bursting the bubbles of a girl. Pretty, pretty grim, the Grim Reaper. An another uh, subject, the organ grinder. Sad melody. Now, to me, I think this might be Voldemort Potter's self-portrait as an organ grinder, but I don't know that. He didn't label it as such. Organ grinder with a monkey on the leash. Here's the organ grinder with a monkey stomping on the organ grinder's back. I don't know what it means. And his relationship with women. Um, we don't really know his relationship with women. His imagery is very interesting. We do know he was married in 1927 to Lena Potter. They were later divorced in Germany. I don't know for certain that this is her. It's just that, that it says Mrs. P. I'm just making conjecture that it's her. And maybe this is her. Here he is, assuming it's him, being cuckolded. The woman's leaving with another man. And here is the man on top of the hill, almost looking like Christ, the way his arms are held out. And the woman's leaving with a heart. And lastly, the bride. Then he did a series of portraits while he was at the camps, using the people who live there as subjects. We have lots and lots of portraits, and I, I cut these way down. I'm sorry, I can only show you a handful in order to keep things in timely manner. This is a portrait that I think is probably a self-portrait. Homo, Echo Homo, excuse me. I want you to remember this painting. He shows up a little bit later in the show. This is one of the few pastels that he did. He preferred, I think, oils, but he did do the pastels and also, of course, the woodblock prints that you've seen. Okay, I know it's not a portrait, but it's um, some feet that he decided he wanted to paint and frame and show. Erica, I think she's pretty neat. Possibly another self-portrait. Definitely a self-portrait of the artist at the easel. And then my favorite, Nellie. In uh, uh, 1956, he emigrated to the U.S. Um, this is his immigration papers. He came aboard the SS General Harry Taylor. He was sponsored by a Lutheran church to come to Montana, where he lived at and worked at Warm Springs State Hospital as an attendant. The hospital provides inpatient services to, and treatment for adults and psychiatric services for treatments for adults and serious mental illness. So he worked and lived there. The Montana Institute of the Arts, a statewide organization devoted to preserving and promoting heritage of the state, um, existed in Montana. And Butte had, it's, I think it still exists, to tell you the truth. The Butte chapter was very active. A group of artists would meet every Wednesday night at the rec center there and paint and draw together. And Potter took the bus from Warm Springs to Butte so he could meet and paint with fellow local artists that belonged to that chapter. And here's a newspaper clipping that it's not a very clear image, but right here, that's Voldemort Potter. And just to the left of him is his friend, Ed Rendell. And the artists would often take turns painting each other. Potter would also paint people that lived at, the, at, the, at Warm Springs, as well as people who lived there, friends in Butte. 
And here are some portraits from this time period. Okay, we had feet earlier, now we have legs. In 1959, through the Montana Institute of the Arts, he and other Montana artists began participating in the annual five-state spring ex exhibition in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. And in 1959, he arranged himself to have a one-man show in San Francisco at the Rust Club there, where he said that his dark paintings shown were of the past. From now on, I'll paint other things, laughing faces and busy, happy hands. He showed primarily his work that he brought with him from Europe. And after the show, this Maverick is a newsletter that was put out at Warm Springs. And you know, he worked there. He also, I think, probably wrote his own copy for his article on that. He says, after the one-man show in June 1959, San Francisco, with 196 pictures exhibited, and because of an excellent acceptance of the American press, and especially the Russian and Estonian newspapers distributed in the United States, he has become more or less well-known in the entire United States. Again, in the five states exhibition in Nebraska, the following year, he won honorable mention for Mr. Z. The, the president of the organization wrote, your style of painting is quite individual and many people asked if you would be sending pictures this year. We are pleased to announce over TV that your pictures would be shown again this year. Another, another newsletter talking about his work. Here's an article in the Great Falls Tribune, 1961. Here he is, the blow up of that picture with his painting for cigarettes. And then right here you see this painting that we saw before, here the article says this was modeled from a cowboy, a Montana cowboy, but we know, of course, it was painted in 1951. But he did do this little woodblock print of the painting in 1962. And here are a few landscapes of Warm Springs. The Warm Spring at Warm Springs, it's a very well-known landmark. This painting shows what he liked to draw on. This is cardboard what you paint on, this is cardboard, and he, I think it's unfinished painting on social drinking. In 1963, he moved to Butte and worked at St. James Hospital Community, St. James Community Hospital also as an attendant. He bought a small apartment building on Galena Street, and he apparently was kept very busy with that, was very fussy about who he let stay there. In 1963, he applied for citizenship, and in 64, hooray, he did receive citizenship. Now the portraits after this period, they, you might argue, are a little bit less refined or finished than some of his other pieces. Maybe because he was so busy with his apartment building, or not. Landscape painting, a Hiawatha departs. The horror, this actually depicts the Watts riots. And then he did a series of sculptures in 1968. Don't know the title of this one. Little wooden sculptures. Now this one, this base, actually shown upright, it would be laying flat, and he would be standing, the man would be standing on the platform with his arms raised, it's, it needs to be conserved and put back together. He also did a bunch of little wire sculptures, I don't know when he did these, he might have been in Europe, I think they're pretty sweet. He died in 1971, uh, when he passed he gave his apartment building to the Montana Tech. So what can we say about Voldemort Potter, he seems it seems he remains an enigma. However, his friends, Mary McCourt Anderson and Ray Maddox from Butte, later recalled that he had a good sense of humor and loved practical jokes. 
Many people thought he was weird. He drank a lot, but wasn't really a problem. It wasn't really a problem for him, according to his friends. He loved to party, and he loved women, but he didn't have a steady girlfriend. Mary described him as a body. Both felt he was very well-rounded. He often carried a briefcase around, and then people wondered what was in it. One time, they, he left it, and they looked inside, and there was nothing inside. <laughs> Ray said he sometimes brought liquor to the artist group's meetings. Ray said he never talked about his life or his family before coming to Montana, except he did claim that he had been a doctor before coming over. This has never been proven um, in any of his immigration papers. It doesn't look like he really was ever a doctor, although he had medical training. He also never talked about his paintings in terms of what they meant, the symbolism, what he was trying to accomplish. So it's your interpretation. They thought he was probably an atheist. He always seemed to discount religion. And finally, Mary said, he always said he was going to write his memoirs, memoirs entitled them, Born with a Silver Spoon in My Mouth, because he felt so lucky to have survived. Thanks.